0: So this this husband and wife were having a spat, and in that spat, they were at this point, I know none of us as couples have been there, but they were at this point where they were not communicating, at least not speaking verbally. They were communicating volumes otherwise, but not saying a word. And it got to the point that they both were kind of feeling like this thing needs to end, but no one wanted to give up the ground in order for it to end. But the husband was getting ready to leave and he had to catch a plane. And this is not an autobiographical, by the way. I just went, they're probably all thinking that's us. Uh, so the husband knows that he needs his wife. To make sure that he gets up on time, because he had a it was an early flight. He had to he had to leave the house at three in the morning. And he knew that she, you know, she was good at that. But if he was going to communicate that to her, he was going to have to speak with her, and he didn't want to give up that ground. So he thought, I have a great idea. So he wrote a note and left it on her side of the bed that said, Honey, could you please make sure that I'm awake by 3 so I can catch my plane? Thank you. And he left that on her side of the bed. In the morning, he woke up, and it was 9 o'clock, and he had missed his flight. And he's like, oh, man, you know, and he's really upset. And he's like, how could she, she knew I had to catch that flight. She, I had plane to, you know, he's had all this stuff. So he can't figure out why she would have done that to him. And he looks over on his side of the bed and he sees a note. And the note said, honey, it's three, it's time to get up. (laughs) I heard that one yesterday and I just had to tell, I had to, it doesn't even fit, but I'm just going to tell it anyway because it's so darn funny. But So Africa, can I talk about Africa? Let me talk about Africa. Well, I was here two weeks ago. I told you all. I was like shaking in my boots. I was, you know, it's not like this is my first rodeo, so there's a lot, lot about that type of travel and stuff that doesn't really bother me, and some of it I, you know, I Actually enjoyed the challenge um, but uh, this one was really working on me probably more than any you just felt the weight of it and in feeling the weight and maybe that's part of the weight was this idea like I am in so way over my head that this isn't just taking you know taking a trip somewhere and hoping that the taxi driver pictures picks you up at the airport. It was bigger than that. So, you know, and you guys prayed for me and I just felt it. I, I knew there was a release. I knew there was, you know, that you were going with me and that that in the midst of this whole thing, God's unfolding something. So, you know, get on the plane and and um, Diane and Linda took me over to Dulles and got on the plane and flew out and it's a little, it's a little bit of a plane ride to get there. Like, pretty much... In the air, it's about 18 hours. Um, Two flights, but still. There's only so many videos on the plane. And when 99% of them you don't even care to watch anyway, that really narrowed it down. They did have a few good documentaries. So I watched those. But anyway, so we get into Africa. I met John in uh, Frankfurt, and then we flew on the same flight into Nairobi. And um, one thing I discovered right off the bat is Uber is in Kenya. Wow. And it works every bit as good as it does at U.S., man. You just pull out your phone, boop, 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 be there in five minutes. Man. Which got me thinking. It's just one of those things – Whoever came up with the idea of Uber, that was somebody's dream, who looking through a cup of coffee, and I'm sure it was coffee, (laughs) looking through a cup of coffee went, I wonder what it would be like if we had this service where people could just, on their phone, have a central number, and we have people that are all set up, and you know how Uber works. Somebody dreamed that, and it didn't exist. I mean, what we had before were just yellow cars <laughs> in certain cities. Right? That you couldn't find. That you couldn't find. <laughs> so, John plums in, bam, this guy's like, shows up, takes us to where we're gonna be, drops us off, and, and we start. That was my first experience in Kenya. It's like, this is really cool, man. They got like an Uber. And we Ubered all over Nairobi. For a week. I mean, there was not a place we wanted to go that you just didn't plug them in. We had one driver. We liked him so much. We said, look, what would you what, tomorrow? Could we just hire you for the day? Can you be here at six o'clock in the morning and just hang with us? Because we've got multiple stops and some of them are going to be an hour or two. So we're OK if you think you can do a hustle while we're in a meeting. You know, if you don't leave us, we won't leave you type of thing. So we hired one guy for the day, and he just took us all over town. Um, so, you know, we, so we get started. So our going, I don't know how much of this, I can't remember how much I've explained, but going, the, our main purpose in going was to get a memorandum of understanding from, the, uh, from PEFA, which is the Pentecostal Evangelical Fellowship Association something like that. And we've already worked out an agreement. They have some space on their campus. It's a Bible college, and they have space on their campus that we can use for a facility for the school, and we can work with their students. Many of them are, are at Bible school studying to be pastors, with the goal being we can train them to be bivocational so when they go back to wherever they live, not all of them are from Kenya. Some of them are in from uh, Uganda and Tanzania. But when they go back to their home, then we've given them the skill to actually build their churches, build their homes, teach that skill to other people, and start to generate an income. Um, so that, you know, that, that was, the, that was the, the, the vision we had as we left. So our first day there, we had a meeting first thing in the morning with a um, gentleman. First name is Kennedy. I have no idea what his last name is because everybody just calls him Kennedy. I thought it was his last name, but they said, no, that's his first name. Okay. Um, he's the head of the school and really, really sharp guy. I mean, he's evidently has taken this school when he got, when he was brought in as the head. It was not doing well financially. It wasn't doing well with students. I mean, just... It was in a mess, and Kennedy has basically turned it around and really got it functioning well, to the point he's been 10 years doing this. He's ready to step on and do something else. So we haven't told him yet, but we think that something else he's supposed to do is be one of the main administrators for Foundation Builders Kenya because he's got the goods, knows how to take an organization and make it happen. Um, (laughs) I mean, I have to turn this one off. So um, we meet with Kennedy, and one of the things that was, well, we had already met with another gentleman back in July and made the whole presentation about what we wanted to do. He was the one that had said, Yeah, we'll do a memorandum of understanding. Yeah, we got to campus. And at the meeting in New York in July, everything was super positive. But then we found out in October that, um, well, September, we found out in September that he's retiring. So the reason he didn't sign the memorandum of understanding in July like we had planned was because he knew he was retiring, but he didn't tell us that, and he didn't want to sign an agreement that was going to bind the next guy to something he did as he's leaving, which he could have told us that, and it would have been fine. But we didn't know that, so we're trying to figure out why aren't they signing this document. So... Kennedy, as we start to talk to him, we're like, well, you know, we have sent you copies of the memorandum. You have that. We'd asked you to review it, comments, whatever. So when we get here, we're ready to just sign it and move on. To which we discovered he knew nothing about any of the discussions that had been held for the last year leading up to us being in Kenya last week. So... We do the presentation all over again. He brings in another gentleman by the name of Bernard, who is going to kind of be the guy we work with. And we make our presentation. Kennedy's listening, and he's fine with it. It's, you know, he's, he's, all, you know, he's all okay. And so I said to him, I said, well, I just have a couple questions. And I had some other logistical questions that we were trying to work out. But I, my other question was, how long are you going to be here? I mean, like, because that would be good for us to know. He's like, no, no, I'm here. He says, I, you know, he said, I've been at this uh, a little over eight years. He said, I'm looking at probably 10 years is long enough to put in some place, and I'm going to move on in 10 years. But I'm, I'm here for the, at least for that long. But good, good. So... He can't sign the memorandum because it needs to go to their board, which is going to happen the 16th of this month. But he's assuring us that, yeah, no problem. He says, I'm I'm for this. I'm sure the board will go along with it. There was, again, some logistical stuff that we had to work out as to the relationship between foundation builders and the school um, and so on. So We left that day with this understanding that there's this open piece of land and we we can use some of their existing classrooms, but it's a school and it's functioning and they don't have a lot of extra empty rooms. So, you know, you start feeling kind of constrained in what you're trying to do because the people that are already doing it already have the space occupied and then we have to fit in where they're not, which can work but it's not the best situation so we talked to Kennedy and he said well look what we can do like in most of these countries in Africa Kenya in particular you know the sea containers that you see stacked on ships that are going all over the place well those containers have a certain shelf life and then they have to come off and new ones come on there's a huge market for used sea containers so we said, look, this is what we can do. A sea container is 9 feet tall, 40 feet wide, 8 feet wide, or 40 feet long, 8 feet wide. So, well, we'll just take four sea containers and stack them, two and two, with about a 30-foot span between them. We'll build a roof across, and we've got security because you put, you know, with a sea container, you put the right lock on, you ain't Jimmy in that door, which is important. So even if it is a Bible college, so we we lay out the plan. We look at the space. Yeah, that'll work. So we leave that day. Everybody's in agreement. This is what we're going to do. So we come home the end of the first day. Yes, it's good. We're we're you know we've, we'll we'll have the M O U by the middle of the month. So we revamp our plan. So the next day we decide we need to go find sea containers because we've seen them. You ride around Nairobi, you'll see them. They're stacked in yards here and there. So we need to find somebody that sells these things, find out how much do they cost, how much does it cost to get it delivered? Will they set it when they deliver it or we got to get a crane to come in? You know, we need to get all this stuff worked out. So next morning, John and I are up, have an early breakfast, call Uber guy picks us up we tell him we we had you know checked on the internet and had a couple different locations where where these containers were sold so we were just going to go through the list we'll go to this one and then we'll go to that one we'll go to that one so we told the driver this is what we want to do hang with us yeah yeah i can do that all right great so we're not but a couple miles down the road and so john and i are talking and and it English is the main language of Kenya, which makes it real easy. Kiswahili is their, is their uh, native language, but everybody speaks English. So um, so the, you know, the driver knows what we're talking about. I mean, he understands what we're talking about, and he's making a couple comments. So John looks at him and he goes, well, do you know anybody that sells sea containers? And he goes, uh, yeah. Yeah, I have a relative that sells them really? Well, maybe we should just go there first. I mean, you know, because we, we, this is what we need. And he goes, yeah, yeah. So, so let me call her. So he gets on his phone, calls, chats it up, hangs up. He goes, yeah, yeah. It's my cousin Eunice and she's at the yard. So she'll meet us. So off we go. So we get to the yard and Sure enough, we walk in and, you know, they're rehabbing sea containers. What they do with them now is you take this steel box and you cut holes in it. You put windows in it. You put doors in it. I mean, you can, it's incredible how you can rehab a sea container. A well, there are, they're making houses. There's uh, so we, we show up and walk in the yard and there's all these sea containers stacked all over the place and their office, of course, is made of a sea container And so we go in the office, and we talk to one gentleman who's a salesman. We tell him what we want, so on. He gives us the price for these containers. And uh, about that time, Eunice shows up. So she says, well, when you're done with him, come in next door in my office, and I'll talk to you. So we go over and sit down and start talking to her. So we start presenting foundation builders. This is what we're here to do. This is how it's going to work. We start laying everything out. She's very interested, and she goes... This is all good, she's. but I really think you need to talk to my partner. His name is Lennox. It's also her husband, but she just referred to him that day as her partner, um, business partner. And uh, so we talk for a little bit more and agree, okay, tomorrow we'll meet for lunch. And we'll talk this through further. And so... We come home after that and, um, you know, both of us are quite excited about the possibilities. So we took a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, God is a God of priorities. So we took a nap and, uh, Yeah, so the next day, we head out to to meet Eunice and Lennox at this coffee shop that is down by close to their office. Now, when we were there the first day, we started, John and I both started to feel a shift in what we were seeing. The Bible College, where we're going to do the one campus, it's in a residential area. It's in one of the more upscale residential areas in Nairobi, very nice homes. Um, and we're going to put a technical school in there where we're beating and banging and making smells with the stuff that we're doing and all that kind of stuff. So it's not an ideal fit. The other thing that we began to realize was the people that would be coming to the school, we're up here in the north end of the city, but all the people that were interested in training, they all work at the south end of the city down by the airport in the industrial section. So all of a sudden, transportation, you start to look around going, it's going to be a pain in the neck getting students here. So we're discussing that. So the next day, as I said, we're, we go off to have coffee and meet with Lennox and Eunice. Eunice was tied up on a, something some at work. She couldn't get there, so we meet. Lennox, who we now discover is her husband. And we sit and talk for him for about two hours. And it was the most amazing thing that I've experienced in quite a while. Um, So much so that when we were done, I went, we were meeting in a shopping center in a mall. Um, I went to go to the restroom and I, I had all I could do to hold myself together. I mean, my whole insides were vibrating. And my emotions were like... Because... And, and I, guess, I guess this is one of the, the main points I want to say concerning today, when I'm just speaking to you, is I met John in 2010 in Haiti, after the earthquake. So September of 2010, and here I am in Kenya in October of 2019. So it's been that long working this thing out. And in trying to work it out, there's been countless times where you felt like, as some of you have said already today, where you felt like, I just hit the wall. I don't know where, I don't know how to go any further. This thing, I know I'm carrying it in my heart, and in my heart it makes some level of real or some, some level of sense, but I don't know how to get it from here to there. And you hit the wall, and you just wait. You find yourself in this place where you're just Waiting. Now, through it, one of the things, and I think this is a key for all of us, especially as we're bringing dreams into reality, is this place of rest. We're all going to hit the walls. But the walls aren't there, aren't designed to stop us. The walls are there to fine-tune us to what we need in the next step we're going to take. And I know we're not all wired the same, and probably, thankfully, none of you are wired like me. But (laughs) my problem is, if I can see it, it needs to be here. Otherwise, why am I looking at it? And this particular one, well, James, actually, you know, you, you said it too. With this church, there's been a lot of things that I could see, but I couldn't just make them happen. See, the thing about dreams is they involve people. And the thing about people, in case you haven't noticed this, they're like all over the place. (laughs) Right, just a minute, just about the time you think you have the memorandum of understanding ready. They retire. We were so close, the church was ready to take the next step. So, it's that way, when we're in, as we're carrying these dreams, it's like the rest, this, this place that on the seventh day... There was morning and there is no evening. In every one of our dreams, there's a place where there's the morning. But the rest of it, it's an open book. You can quit if you want. And speaking of somebody that's quit, you can quit and come back. The one thing I've noticed about my father, he's rehired me a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And when he rehires you, you just start where you left off. It's not about being penalized. You just pick up where you left off. So you quit the next time. (laughs) You come back. Right. So these walls that we're that we come up against in our dreams, they help us to fine-tune things and they help us, if we'll if we'll give them room, they help us to discover what rest looks like. Because when I hit the wall, that's usually where my anxiety rises where my anger rises, where my tension rises, where my self-loathing rises. The walls bring things out. As Claudia said earlier, need to be gone, and he gets us to the place where he can spin us around, and we look at ourselves again and went, shazam. The walls are necessary so that when we arrive at where we're supposed to get to, we're mature enough to handle what he's going to give us. I can tell you in 2010, I wasn't ready for what's happening now. There's been a lot that's been put into me from 2010 to 2019. Stuff that wasn't there before. Some of it's internal things that God's worked out some of it's network, people. There's a lot of things that have come into my life in that whole time frame that I didn't have, but now I have. And I'm not there yet. There's still more things being put in. So I'm undone. I'm just sitting here, the the whole weight of this thing after all this time of starts and stops and is it going to happen, how's it going to happen, all these things... Um, I'm standing there watching this thing unfold in, in time and space. And Lennox is an amazing guy. Uh, he's probably, I don't know his exact age, but he's probably in his mid-30s. He and his wife, Eunice, they have multiple businesses. This is one of them. And he's got sea container places in Kenya, in Uganda, in Tanzania, Um, There's another one. I can't remember the other one. But, so he's got multiple locations. He only has this location in Nairobi where he's actually taking the containers and rehabbing them because he said in all the other places he can't find qualified workers. (laughs) (laughs) To which we said, we can fix that. We can fix that. So, the other thing that's, that has been amazing in this was, okay, we're going into another country. So that means we have to come in and comply with all the laws of that country. Even coming into the country, I have to comply. Because I've been informed that my, I can't, if you come back and forth in Kenya if I come back and forth more than three times in a year when I get to immigration, I'm probably not going to get into the country telling them I'm a tourist. I mean, what are you doing vacationing here three times this year? What did you do? Where would you go? Who would you talk to? Where would you live? How long were you there? How much money did you spend? I mean, I, even just coming in this time, the, the questions that that I went through with immigration, I was sitting there going, I mean, I had all the answers, but I was like, wow, well, it was guy's it pretty tight. You know? So so there's a lot of things we have to now comply with, and to work all that out can take a lot of time. Just two yahoos sitting here in the U.S. <laughs> Googling Kenyan government requirements. And downloading forms and so forth. So we're sitting there talking to Lennox, and I said to him, We know we've got to do the legal stuff to get this right. Neither John nor I know what that is. He goes, Ah, no problem. He goes, First you gotta do this. So you, you gotta get your NGO status, then you're gonna have to get your work permit, then you're gonna have to get and he started going down, there's about seven things he laid out on, on this piece of paper. And I was looking at that, going, oh, "Man, I mean, just the idea of applying for an NGO status is like really daunting to me, because this isn't like kids' play. You know, it's like it's more than just filling out this form and signing your name and giving them fifteen hundred bucks to view your your application, right?" So I'm looking at this list, and, and I said to him, I said, well, who, who do we see about this? I mean, do we have to have an attorney do this? Um, how long is it? I mean, and I said, what's this, going to be like a year, two-year process to get all this stuff? And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. <laughs> and I'm like, I said, Wow. Is, yeah, um, I said. Well, to get our NGO status, I mean, do we have to have an NGO status? Because we hadn't we hadn't necessarily considered that as an option if we didn't have to do it. And he's like, No, no, you want you want your NGO status. We could just come in as a corporation in Kenya. There's no such thing as a nonprofit. Well, there are nonprofits, but there's no such thing as tax exempt like we have here in the states. So everybody pays taxes. So. We were like, well, we could just come in as a corporation, which would make it a lot easier. And I said that to him, and he goes, yeah, you can do that, but you don't want to do that. He goes, you need to come in as an NGO. He goes, we'll get that set up. And he, next thing I know he's on his phone. He's talking to the person in the, in the office that handles the NGO applications. So he's chatting up with whoever that is. And he's scribbling stuff down on his piece of paper. So he hangs up, and he goes... Yeah, this is what you're going to need to do. You need to get your NGO, and this is how much it's going to cost, and here's, um, here's the stuff that you're going to have to have. But they're going to email all that to me, and then I'll send it to you, and you just get the documents together and send that back to me, and then I'll take it and get it through the process. All righty. Um, so I asked them. I said, why do we need... What's the, what's the important thing about being an NGO? He goes, well, in Kenya, there's an advisory board to the president that is made up of Kenyan organizations and NGOs that are working in Kenya. He goes, and you need to be on that, in that organization, because you need to be at that table. And we'll make sure that happens. Anyway, all right, I just scared the crap out of me. <laughs> just this morning, we were talking about welding. And now you've kicked this thing up to sitting at a council table in the Kenyan government as an NGO, having a voice to the government about how the two NGOs and the government can cooperate better to streamline things so people get benefited that aren't getting the benefit now because Kenya, like a lot of countries, is full of corruption. It says that the average Kenyan will pay 16 bribes a month in order to get something done. And the average pay for a Kenyan is equivalent to one U.S. dollar, a daily wage. Now, there are those that make more than that. I'm not, I mean, uh, Kenya has done a great job in bringing their universities online and bringing training people. So Kenya, you know, I don't want to, it's not just this poor country and everybody's living in grass shacks. It's not that at all. But the people we're dealing with, the people we're going after are the people that are at that level and um, that's, they're the ones we want to train. So we'll have a voice there. God, only you can open up an opportunity to sit on a governmental council and have a voice. Only you can do that. Because, one, we didn't even know it existed, let alone know how to get on it or even feel we would have been qualified to get home. on. I wouldn't have applied for it. But Lennox like, no, 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 I was going to do it. So we began to work out other things, and oh, it's only 12.30. I could sing for you if I could save time in a bottle, but I won't. Uh, so... Let me, let me land this plane, but, um, and we're only at 40,000 feet and I've been cleared to 30, so. <laughs> and then we'll serve drinks again. Um, the, uh, um, the other thing that unfolded was we began to see that we needed to be in the industrial center. That this is where we need to serve because all the people that we're going to be training, this is where they're already working. Kenya, the the school system of Kenya is what they call an eight, four, and four. So there's eight years of primary education, four years of secondary education, four years of college. There's two tests that every student has to pass, and your whole life depends on that test. If you fail that test, you can go back and repeat the last year and try to test again which almost none of them do. So uh, some of the educators I've, I talked to while we were there, they're really upset about that because they're like, they really, act, even though they're pushing education, they've set the system up so it's loaded against the, 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 the lower class people because they're, they don't have the support. And the wealthier people, their kids are going to private school anyway. so it's kind of stacked against them the the unemployment rate in Kenya right now is somewhere around 16% the average, the, the median age median age in Kenya is 18 years old the median age of the US is 38 So you got this whole population that's hovering around 18 years old. Needing direction. Needing a reason to, to get engaged in their government as opposed to fleeing the country, thinking if I can just go someplace else, life will be better. And you go someplace else and it's not better. And, and I, I, I'm still overwhelmed by the opportunity that we can go in and begin to impart something into a generation that at 18 years old we're affecting Kenya for the next 50 or 60 years. It's incredible to me. Because one of the things that's not in my book, my book, one of the things that's not acceptable is that your whole life has to be lived through bribes. Yeah, and, and your life hangs in the balance on two tests the test you take coming out of primary education, and the test you take coming out of secondary education. And they val- they're valuing, they're starting to value more technical training like we're going to be offering, the problem that it seems at this point, I don't have all this together yet. I'm still working on it. But the, the problem is if I as a student fail my secondary exam and I don't go back and repeat it and try to test again, then the government could, or, or then that student come, could come through our trade school and we could trade the, train them as an electrician ready to take the government's exam for being an electrician, just like we have here. You know, you got to get certified. They have it there. The problem is, if I haven't passed my secondary education exam, I'm disqualified from taking my, my tradesman exam, even if I'm the best electrician in the, in the country. So what we're looking at is... Okay. Until we can change that rule, because that's really a dumb law. You don't you don't understand the trades if that's the way you've structured your your education. But what what uh, what we're looking at is okay. So Kenyan government, you're not going to You're not going to allow this man or woman to take uh, the exam to become a registered electrician. So. We'll get you certified in the U.S. through our exam board and you'll have your certificate as a journeyman electrician from the U.S. So when you walk back in to the office of your boss and he says, I need to see your documents, I need to see that you're certified or I can't, you know, I, I can let you carry wire from here to there, but I can't let you wire anything. Instead, you walk in and you put down your, your certificate from the American Welding Society or, I, you know, the Electrical Contractors Society or the other, the other licensing boards that we have here in the States. The government will honor that. And it's actually, it's a better certification than what the Kenyan government is giving to their people currently. Which, if you come over here with a Kenyan certificate, you ain't wiring anything. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) So, we're going to be able to help change that. And because we're going to be sitting on the board talking to the government we're you know, I'm confident we can begin to have an influence when we say, those are our students right there. You see the quality that they're doing? You've gone through our, you've walked through our school. You see what they're training, right? I just, in doing some research just yesterday, I read a whole article. that just came out talking about how there's four major polytechnical schools in Nairobi, that are all government-run schools. And people are coming out of those schools, and they don't know Jack. And the government's paying for them to be there two and three years. And they don't know what they're doing. And we're looking at it going, we can get you to, to certification level in a lot of this stuff, we can get you there in a year. 2 years for sure and we'll throw in some other fluff to build out the time but we can we can teach you so it's just amazing to me where we're all at in this thing so in 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 closing we need teachers cuz we teach business we teach trades so just saying, don't have your passport. Be a good time to get it. The uh, and the way Foundation Work Builders works, we're not a missionary organization. You don't raise your funds so you can go on the mission trip with us. You're a teacher that we hire. And we we cover all your expenses to get there, the travel, the stay, that whole thing. And we pay you $1,500 a week to teach. And on Saturday, between first week and second week, we'll take you out to the park so you can see the lions. Yeah. Yeah. There is some really nice... uh, huge parks right outside of Nairobi so the way the way we're forming foundation builders some people will be going and and you'll be there one week you'll be teaching Monday through Friday it's about an eight to five and probably uh, not this coming year but in 2021 we're going to be running night school because a lot of these guys are working during the day guys guys and girls are working during the day and so we're going to be running a night school so they can come after work and get the training Um but you know, so you'll either be there teaching a one-week module, maybe a two-week module, and we are going to be looking for people that are that can make a longer term commitment and be there for, for four to six months. Um just because we need that level of people on the ground as well. But in 2020, it's our pilot program, April, August, last week of November, first week of December. We're going to need teachers for business classes. We're going to need teachers for um, the vocational classes. A lot of the business classes, we can actually record you here and just play that there because that's basically just talking. For the vocational side, that's all hands-on. So we need, we need the person looking over the guy's shoulder as he's welding to make sure this is how you do it. No, you know, or the carpenter or the electrician. The other thing that that has opened up through Lennox, we're right now looking for a warehouse in the industrial area. When we get that, we're going to work out a profit sharing with his company, where the orders he's getting to fit out these boxes, we can bring it in, bring a box into the warehouse, put it on a set of wheels and our fabricators and welders start, and then we just push that box through the warehouse just like they do modular homes, and it goes from the welders to the electricians to carpenters, however the sequence is going to be. At the end, it's painted, and we roll it out the other end of the warehouse, and he comes and picks it up with his truck and goes deliver it because he's got more work than he can handle, and he doesn't have the skilled labor, and he's like, you know, he says, you only get a few chances and you're putting out substandard work. People move on. Yeah, yeah. He goes, and I want to put out top quality work. it well, took us in didn't just four or five blocks from where his business is. There's this little we're walking down the street and you walk in through this opening and then there's a, a, an alley and on both sides of it are shops, beauty salons, like little shops, trinket places, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it was full. I mean, it was totally packed out, vacant, no vacancy as, as I could see. The shopping center were uh, nine by 40 boxes, stacked two high, three deep. With uh, the alley was probably. I don't know, 12 feet, I'll say, something like that, 12, 15 feet, and they had put an arched uh, roof over it that lets sunlight in. Welded cat walks along the second. You wouldn't be able to do that in the U.S., but they all seem to be walking on them. <laughs> well, what here, most of you, if you know anything about welding, but here we would refer to as tack welding. That was like their finished product, like. They ain't enough meat in there, but they all seem to be happy with it. So John, my partner, he's having like this—his top of his head's blowing off. I mean, he, I had all I could do. He was—he was ready to drag a welder in there and just finish it. Just give me an hour. I mean, just I'll fit. So, but anyway. So we'll be able to be in a profit sharing with the company that Lennox has, and we'll be able to give all of our students all the training in whatever they're training in as we're moving a box from start to finish and putting out good product. So, anyway, thank you. Oh, and the plane ride. Yeah, on the way home, John, there's a guy sitting next to him. They strike up this conversation and the guy goes, uh, you know, you know, why are you in Kenya? Why are you in that whole thing? So the guy says, yeah, I'm here. I contracted for a year. I said, there's this Brit and a German that started a furniture making company. And they, they hired me. I, I'm here for a year to try to get it up and really get it going. It's driving me crazy. He says, nobody understands a precision cut. He said, now, when I say something to him, it's like, well, the gap's too big. No, no, it's fine. It's the way we do it. He goes, no, no, it's not that. no. It's furniture, no gaps. It fits. Have a lot more lines on them. Yeah, yeah, you can't just be putting wood putty everywhere. I mean, at least get a couple joints right. So the guy's complaining, and he's like, I, I'm kind of done. He says, I, I just can't get any headway. There's, he said, the guys that are coming out of the vocational training schools, this is, these are the people I'm getting, and they don't even understand precision in workmanship nor even really care about it because nobody's ever showed them this is what it looks like when you do it right. It looks a lot better. And it's actually easier. So they strike up a conversation, exchange stuff, and so we're going to be looking at, you know, from that too. Um, Because one of the things we have seen is that we can work with the businesses and train their employees they can pay us for doing that, but we can help them raise the standard of their business and get their employees up where they need to be, and that supplies part for us, supplies something for them. So yeah, that was yeah. The school that you were originally contracting with, or trying to get a contract with, you, is that you're not going to contract with this Linux now? Well, actually, what we're going to do. Our goal in Foundation Builders is to start a school, get it up, functioning fully, fully running, have a board of nationals wherever we're at, and then ultimately we give the school away. And that board takes it and they start doing it. So the school up at the other college, that's going to be our first satellite school, and eventually we'll get that one and we'll give that away to the Bible college. What's kind of changed in our thinking is the... The location in the industrial complex, we're probably not going to give that away. That's actually going to become our our hub training center because then the teachers can come to us and we can train the teachers in our facility and then send them back to Tanzania or Uganda or wherever to start the schools, to teach the schools. And that's better for us than running all over the place. We got four people over in this country and two people in that country and whatever now nairobi really is the hub of africa and so to be right there that's to be at the epicenter of what's happening on that continent and we're three miles from the airport so yeah that that's going to be a we're going to do the pilot program up to that other school and and ultimately get that one set up